All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, being here. I know uh, posting was slow this week. We had a couple website issues. There was a, a WordPress or update that came out and some other updates to some of the plugins, I guess. I don't know them. I'm repeating what I was told, so I could be talking out my ass. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so it led to some very difficulties in posting. So you're probably going to see a slew of posts over the next couple of days of stuff that I've been trying to get on there, um, but haven't uh, been able to. So uh, I apologize for that, but you know I don't want people thinking I'm just not posting anymore because that's far from the truth. So um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are with that. So I have a few questions. I'll get into the questions and uh, some other commentary on some other stuff. So um so, Todd, given the limitless money printing at the Fed and neither party willing to contain spending for the foreseeable future, have your expectations for inflation changed? Have you considered other hard asset plays that will benefit from inflation and protect your portfolio? You know, for the last, I don't know, 25 years, um, We've been saying the same thing, right? Uh, especially, I would say, the last 13, 14 years. Um, you know, we've been saying that the Fed was going to lead to runaway inflation, right? Fed printing money is going to lead to inflation. Um, and it just hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened. Um, so I, you know, I'm starting to be, I mean... It, if you look at it logically, it should happen, right? Printing unlimited money should then lead to inflation in goods and services, right? As all this money chases them and demand goes up. Um, but we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in two decades. So, you know, I, I know there's a large contingent of people that are like, you know, oh, well, it's coming, well, it's coming, well, it's coming. Um, is it? I don't think it is. And, but, so I guess let's look, what happened to the money, right? So the Fed printed billions and billions in the 08, 09. And where did most of that money go? Went into bank reserves. That's where most of it went. I mean, it wasn't circulated into the system. It was put into the system, right? The, uh, um... You know, the Fed either buying mortgage-backed securities or buying bonds in 08, 09, or just straight injections into banks. But what the banks were then required to hold was dramatically increased. And, and there's lots of people who say they just the opposite side that, you know, that right now our banks are overcapitalized. Um, and there's been people saying that for years. So, you know, yes, the Fed did print gobs and gobs of money, but that money didn't go into the system. I it didn't flush through the system. It went in and just sat on the bank's balance sheet, sat on the bank's books. Um, so I don't, that's why it didn't happen before. Well, now the Fed's doing the same thing, right? They're printing money, they're buying bonds, but, you know, and they're, you were sending stimulus checks out, but where's that money going? Well, it's not in addition to, well, let's say it the right way. The money's going to people and it's replacing income that's been lost. Now, in some cases, you know, some people are um, making more money now with the bailouts, right? So I think in Massachusetts, if you make, you know, if you make under 70, 80 grand um, with the 600 bucks a week from the Fed, you're actually doing better. 
You know, you collect your your two thirds of your salary on unemployment, and you add thirty grand a year from the government. It's six hundred bucks a week, right? It's thirty grand a year. Um, you're doing better. You know, you're gonna have to pay taxes on that down the road, and there's gonna be a reckoning next tax season, I think, because everyone thinks this is free money unless they decide to go back and waive taxes on this money. I don't know, uh, but people are, you know, they think this is free money. They're not gonna realize when they, you know, get their tax bills next year that their refund is nothing or they're gonna owe. Um, but that money is coming into the system now is, is not additional to what's there. It's, it's a replacement for what's being lost. Um, you know, the PPP loans are replacing lost revenue for businesses, not in addition to. So while, yes, the Fed is you know, expanding its balance sheet and flushing money through the system, I don't view it as... You know, we have two trillion now. We're going to have six trillion in circulation. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's happening. So I'm not convinced we have runaway inflation. And then the second thing is, you know, we've gone, you know, we've gone from a agrarian manufacturing society to really a, a technology and services society, and technology is deflationary. You know, supercomputers are deflationary. The iPhone is a deflationary device, right? It, it basically eliminated the printed map industry, right? Google Maps and things like that. So we're able to do more with less um, and the technologies enable our lives to, to be deflationary. And the more rapid that you have the expansion of technology, the more deflationary pressure that puts on that puts on the on the country. So I think that counterbalances a lot of the extra money. So, you know, I, and this is a new thing, right? Because the USA is one of the most advanced cultures and, uh, you know, we're technology leaders. Things That's probably us, South Korea and Japan, right? If you want to look at it. Um, and none of them, you know, Japan went through a decade of low inflation and, and malaise. Um, I don't think, you know, we're Japan, but I don't, I don't, I just the I think the old adage of Fed primping money is going to cause runaway inflation. I don't think it holds anymore. I just it doesn't it hasn't happened, and there's no reason after oh eight oh nine that if that if that relationship held true, um, we should have absolutely seen runaway inflation after oh eight oh nine with the amount of money that was unprecedented. The amount of money the Fed pumped into the system. Uh, via bailouts and bank bailouts and direct stimulus and things like that. And if anything, rates went lower, right? Rates stayed lower for almost a decade, right? We had zero interest rates for almost a decade. Uh, maybe we did. Um, if we did, it was damn close. So I don't, you know, I don't see it. I don't see it. I think, you know, if you're looking at hard assets and price increases. It won't be because of the money supply. It'll be because supply and demand demetric. And it happens, with, it happens with oil and gas all the time. Price collapses because, the, you know, they think demand's going to fall because of the economy. Production comes off. Economy gets better. All those fears subside, right? Demand increases. Well, now production's been cut. So now the price rises, right? And then uh, oil and gas catches up. They start producing more. Price starts to fall a little bit. It's, it's over, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. It's happened a million times. Um, but I don't think that has anything to do with the Fed. I, 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 think, I think I'm becoming of the opinion people are um, giving the Fed far too much credit for 
results and actions and things uh, than they deserve. And I think because it's easy to do, it's a black box. Most people don't understand the dynamics and the, the levers the Fed's doing, what they're actually doing when they do those levers. Um, so it's just, it's an easy thing to say. Um, as far as hard assets like gold or anything like that, I don't, I have no interest in gold. I mean, you know, I, I view, you know, gold is a, you know, Warren Buffett had a great thing on gold. You know, he said, even if, if, if the whole basis for owning gold, right, is that if fiat currencies collapse, gold's a hard metal commodity that, um, can be used for transactions, right? It's the same thing you hear about Bitcoin and stuff like that. At the end of the day, if, if, if fiat currencies globally collapse, there isn't enough gold in the world to go around. So the fact that the, the illusion that gold can replace currency is ludicrous. There's not enough of it. And, and Buffett's done the math. Um, you know, all the gold in the world could fit in the studio at CNBC. Um, that's not enough gold. So, um, you know, I, I like oil because oil has a, a use, right? Um, so, you know, and I like real estate. Real estate has a use. Land has a use. Um, oil has a use. Gold is jewelry. Really the only use is for gold. Um, um, yeah, so I think that's, um, yeah. Uh, separately, I agree with you that online education is a complete disaster for young children. My kids are five and seven. I cannot agree with that more. Um, it's the, I, I, as I said last week, I, I, the school district where we live is one of, one of the best in Massachusetts. It's been ranked nationally. Um, I saw their online learning last year. Uh, it's non-existent. It's, it's a joke. We have an entire, I would say anybody under freshman year of high school um, was a lost year of education for them. And if they're, what they're doing in a lot of the country this year is going to be another lost year. Um, children that age need to be together to learn. They need to write. They need to hold things. It, it, it's, it's interactive. Um, you know, they have the attention span of a gnat on, on, online, especially for learning, unless it's, you know, a video game. Um, they're not paying attention. They're not learning. You know, we have a whole generation of kids now aren't learning anything online. They just aren't. You know, they're not old enough to be able to learn online like, you know, high school or college kids are. Um, and, I, and I think, honestly, I think what's, what's, I think the biggest fallout from this educationally is going to be colleges. You know, a lot of, you know, Harvard is still charging 72 grand a year. The kids go to, go to school, they can't go to class though. They can sit in their dorm and learn online. Um, at some point, parents can say, why am I sending you to Harvard to sit in a dorm room? Right? Tuition is probably 50, room and board is probably 23,000 a year. Why am I sending you to sit in a dorm room and party and not go to classes? Because they won't let you. Uh, I think there's going to be a real, a real shakeup in education. If these lockdowns go the full year, and if kids just don't go to college, or if they go to college, they just sit in a dorm room, I think you're going to see the biggest draw of kids applying to school to actually live on campus that we've ever seen. Um, I think most kids will make the, uh, most families will start making the rec economically rational decision at that point and say, hey, my kid can learn just fine. I don't have to pay room and board at college for them to go sit in a freaking dorm room. They can do it from home. They can do it from wherever. I think, the, you know, a higher education, I think education in general is doing itself a disservice with what they're doing. 
And I think that you're going to really see it in certain colleges. I, I, I know even, even prep schools in Massachusetts this year have seen a, a surge of kids who want to go to school but don't want to live on campus because they know they're not going to class. That's a lot of money that's being drained from those schools and those universities. And I think that trend increases the longer these lockdowns and these ridiculous um, uh, policies that a lot of these schools are enacting um, happen. Uh, again, if you look at the math, it's simple. If you're under 25 years old, COVID is less dangerous than the flu. Statistically proven. Um, you're five times more likely to die at that age from suicide, and you're 10 times more likely to just die in an accident than you ought to die from COVID, and they've completely locked down the education system. So, um, I wonder, however, if the risk reward has permanently changed. This is the state. Oh, you know, Siri. Now Siri answers me. Um, this is just part of the same question. Um, I wonder, however, if the risk reward has permanently changed for higher education. This country is family. Uh, yeah, so, yes, exactly. I, <laughs> I answered it without even realizing it. Um, I agree. So, investment implications. That's the interesting part. Um, I think. I don't know that, I mean, the good news will be student debt's going to drop significantly, right? I mean, that's the good news, right? So if you're going to go to Harvard four years and not go to class, you know, why pay twenty five grand a year or an extra $100,000 to sit in a shitty dorm room, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> when you could be living at home or, you know, you could, I mean, think about it. If you're not going to go to class... Right, right now, right now, at most colleges in the Northeast, you're not having going to class. The dining halls aren't open. Extra sports are being canceled. Extracurricular activities are canceled. What are you doing? Right, you're you're, you're a freshman at Harvard. You're you're probably three to a room, and you can't go do anything. Why spend twenty five thousand dollars a year for that experience? Why not get an apartment on the Gulf Coast, San Diego? And go to Harvard and have beautiful weather and go to the beach every day, right? Why go sit in a dorm room in the Northeast in winter and pay $25,000 for that privilege when you can't participate in school? Go get a cheap apartment in Florida. It'll cost you a fraction of what it'll cost to do in Florida. And you're taking classes online anyway. Sit in the sun and do it. I think that's the implication. Student housing. What's going to happen to student housing? And there's not a lot of investment around that unless you're, you know, into the local real estate and things like that. But, you know, and again, all this depends on, you know, if, if they're back in classes and back in, in curriculum activities and, you know, if, you know, you know, right now football is being canceled all over. But if basketball, you know, basketball starts in what? You know, college basketball, I think, starts what? October, late October, November. If they open that back up and kids go back to school in the dining and then... A lot of what I just said is maybe mitigated. But if this lasts the entire year, and I think if you're being honest, I think it will last the entire year. Uh, if for no other reason, you know, <laughs> we're coming to cold and flu season. Right? So now you're going to have flu outbreaks and what's going to be classified COVID versus the flu. And it's just, it's just what, we're, what we're doing right now. Right? We're trying to hide from the virus. You can't hide. I think if, if we've proven anything... You cannot hide from this virus, right? Even states that shut down, when they opened up, they had the spike. You have to let the virus go through the population. 
it's going to do it anyway. The faster it does it, the faster life gets back to normal. The faster it does it, the faster we open the economy back up and the destruction we're causing and the um, um, the damage, the permanent damage we're causing to a lot of families, a lot of people, economic permanent damage, uh, will be will be mitigated. Um, but I don't know. So, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of hard to invest in Harvard and stuff like that. So as far as investment is tough, but um, yeah, that's where I'm with that. I, I so I think student debt's going to fall. I think a lot of kids just aren't even going to bother trying to live on campus because they, they can't they can't access the campus anyway. Um, HHC, do you think the new notes raised by Howard Hughes largely resolve the loan due on the Woodlands office building and mitigate the risk of accidental defaulting on lease payments? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, I think that. And uh, as of um, as of last quarter, um, there was no issues in the Woodlands with any rents. I think they had 97% of the rents were paid. Um, so... And again, that's part of the. Um, that's part of the benefit of basically controlling, supply and demand in in your area, right? Um, so yeah, I think that, and I think I, I honestly think HHC probably raised debt as a precautionary measure. Um, I think that you know they had almost a billion dollars in cash on hand, uh, which is they have more cash on hand than they need to finish out the construction they have in place right now right so they don't need to go raise more debt to finish to finish the products they have they have more cash on hand than they need to finish the build outs of everything they have in, in motion right now i think it was preventative i think honestly if you know you're looking at six eight months from now it's highly uncertain what the economy is going to look like it really is um for me anyway for me it is I think HHC figured, hey, you know, their debt's cheap right now. We can really, you know, pack our coffers with some cash. You know, unsettled times coming up in the six, eight months. We don't know. Um, if they're wrong and the economy chungs along fine, they have a shit ton of cash for more projects that they won't, you know, if they, they can build the next building in the seaport, in, um, not the seaport, in Ward Village in Hawaii, and not need mortgages for that. They can use some of the cash on hand. Um, if they're right, and the economy goes in the shitter, you know they have they have a war chest for either you know cheap acquisitions or whatever. I mean, don't remember, you know, during it was 0809 that GGP bought the rest of the woodlands from Morgan, uh, from Morgan Stanley for 140 million dollars, which was the biggest ripoff that I've ever seen in history. That was a multi-billion-dollar value to that. They got it for one hundred forty-five million dollars. It was chump change, and that was back when Morgan was just dumping everything. Right? They just desperately needed cash, um, and they got it. So you know, you build a war chest. If the economy stutters or we go into recession, Q one, Q two, they got cash on hand. A operations are fine. They can continue their buildouts and have plenty of liquidity. And then B, if opportunities present themselves, they'll be ready and won't won't have any issue at all the financing. So I I think it was a good move. You know, and they're 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 very well capitalized as it is right now. They don't have any, you know. There's no worries about their debt levels. They're they're very low, you know, especially for a company like them. So I'm not. Uh, I I think it was a good move personally. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out, and what the cash ends up getting used for. But I think you know, 
I, I think it was good. Um, what do you think of the banking industry? Is it way undervalued or not? The Federal Reserve slash interest rates and said it expects to keep them there for the next two years, which will hurt banks' lending margins. Businesses and consumers are stressed, meaning outstanding loans look riskier. Bank index is way lower than SP 500. Is it a great sector for us to find lots of great opportunities such as BAC? I mean, <clears throat> Bank of America. So I love Bank of America. I love Brian Moynihan. I have no intention of selling my Bank of, my Bank of America stock. If the price falls significantly, I'll be happy to buy more. That's that's my, that's the end for Bank of America. As far as the banking industry, um, yes, has fallen a lot. Um, net net interest income obviously is going to fall for the next two years from where it was for the last two years, right? Because rates are lower, so that's just that just happens. I mean, right now, home sales are surging. So that's going to be a big benefit for banks. Trading volume is still high. S&P is still rolling. So that's going to be a big help for banks, right? Um, so I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I would say if I was going to take, if I didn't own banks, I was going to take a fresh look at banks. I think I would say I want to wait four or five months to see what happens. Because banks have fallen, but you have to remember the Fed basically was giving everyone $30,000 a year for, you know, the last three or four months. And it looks like there's another bailout coming up that's going to be, what, three to $400 a week extra, um, which is, you know, fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year extra in people's pockets. That is going to buffer the economy, right, for a while. Um, that's going to run out. And people are finding now that there aren't jobs to go back to. That their business is either gone, permanently downsized, is going more remote, not needing people. Um, a lot of jobs are permanently lost. Um, but again, when you're giving people $30,000 a year, that's going to buffer those results. And so that can't happen forever. So I think at some point, the damage from the shutdowns is going to rear, rear its head. And I think the banks will be hit at that point, right? So here's the deal. Right now, credit card delinquencies aren't rising. Well, right? And, and mortgage delinquencies aren't really rising. And rent delinquencies aren't really rising. You think they would. Well, why? Well, if a bank puts you in forbearance because of COVID, you're not late in your payments. You may not have paid your loan for the next three, last three or four months, but you're not delinquent because you're in forbearance due to COVID. So we're playing a kind of a shell game of the numbers right now. That money, right, won't have to be paid back in bulk in most cases. They'll just put it into the loans. So now your loan payment's going to go up. So people's loan payments are going up. Their rent payments are going to go up, right, because they're going to have to pay off the forbearance stuff. Car payments are going to go up. Any cars in forbearance, that money's getting added back to the end of the loan. So your loan payment's going to go up or it's going to be extended, either one. Most likely the companies are willing to put you in forbearance because then they can, right, they're going to accrue the interest. Then they're going to load that onto the payment. Your payment's going to go up. You're going to pay them more. You're going to end up paying more over time than you're not paying now in forbearance. That's, that's why they're doing it. That's how it works. But these landlords are still paying property taxes. 
Businesses are still paying rents. At some point in time, the money's got to be paid. And we know that what's been pumped into the economy has been spent. Not necessarily on rent, car payments, mortgages, etc., etc., etc. So I think the bank's numbers, when, 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 when things start coming off forbearance and then being delinquent and not paid, I think you see delinquency rise. I know you're going to see commercial real estate delinquency skyrocket. Walk through any city in America right now. Any downtown area. A fucking ghost town. The downtown restaurant scene in Boston, decimated. New York City, decimated. When, this, when these realizations start to hit the markets, and the, that's, when, that's when things start happening. Then you wait a little bit, and then things start getting really cheap. And I still... I become more negative on the economy each passing week. Um, not right now negative on it, but negative on it in... You know, I've been saying all along, fall and winter. Um, and I... I just, the stock market is not reflecting the economic realities on the ground right now. Um, we're classifying things a certain way to avoid the reality of what's happening. At some point in time, that will change. And when it does, it's going to be a shock to a lot of people, I think. Has anyone seen Minneapolis, Portland, Oregon, parts of New York City? I mean, they're war zones. They look like war zones. That's not coming back. If it does, it'll be years. All the economic activity in all these cities, that's gone. It's gone. Blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks burned to the ground. We're not talking windows. We're talking burned to the ground. Destroyed, looted, destroyed. That's not coming back. Those businesses, the ones that aren't permanently shut, they're already leaving. Why are we seeing record home sales right now? People are evacuating U.S. cities. I have a friend in Hiltahead. He says, New York, people are coming up here, they're buying everything in sight. People want out of cities. I said this on a podcast a long time ago. At the end of the day, people want to feel safe. If they don't feel safe, nothing else matters. They want to know they can put food on the table and that they're safe. Those are two core things in life for people. Shelter and safety. If you don't have those, your views on everything else are irrelevant to them. Your political views are irrelevant. If I can't put food on my table and I don't feel safe... I don't care what party you're from. I don't care your thoughts on gun control, abortion, gay rights, whatever. I don't care. That's what's happening in the cities right now. Talk to any realtor in the suburbs. They have people coming out of the cities left and right. That's why housing is spiking in the suburbs. Housing sales are, what, up 24% year over year right now? Why? People are ditching the cities. Rent Vacancies in the cities are skyrocketing right now.
defund the police in the cities? Who wants to live in a city that doesn't have a police force? They're going to move to the suburbs where there's police and they feel safe. That is happening. The economic activity in our major cities that saw these protests and saw this destruction is, is going to collapse. There is a price for that in the broader economy. There's going to be commercial real estate bankruptcies. There's going to be more Chapter 11 in businesses, both big and small. Small business is being killed right now. Small business, which is the driver of the economy, is being killed right now. Slowly but surely, just being choked to death. And don't give me any PPE. That's gone. The ones, the small businesses that did get it, that were able to get it, I I know someone through the process, (laughs) they could not have made it any more difficult. Right? But whatever. The money went out. But it's gone. It's gone. And the shutdowns in the major cities are lingering. Boston kids aren't going back to school. I think I think I saw October now. And I think I believe October is just kids that uh, that that really like you know special needs kids that need that one on one educational experience that you know can't do it remotely. I believe those are the ones allowed back in October. All this stuff has a cost, and it's a negative cost. It's an extremely negative cost. I think we're fundamentally changing our economy in a lot of negative ways. So do we have another question? Do you have best stock picks post-pandemic, assuming back to normal lives? I mean... I, I, so the way I have my portfolio is I, I'm in things that I think are necessary. You know, we need natural gas for electricity. We just do. And even in, even in the worst recessions, demand for natural gas wanes, doesn't collapse. So the amount of gas going through pipelines is not going to materially materially fall even if we go into a recession. It's more likely not to grow as fast. And it's growing every year, right? It grows with the population. More and more natural gas is being used every year for electricity. Um, it's a continue to grow. So I think pipeline companies are necessary. I'm not saying the stock price is going to do good. I'm saying they're not going to collapse. And, you know, <coughs> given where... The Williams and Kinder Morgans that we own are, um, you know, the dividend safe. So I, I think that's you know that's where I am with that. Um, you know, TPL oil is necessary, and you need to drill on their land to get it. They sit on the largest oil deposit in North America. That's a necessary company. Insurance necessary, banking necessary. You know, I got rid of. Any retail stocks that we own. Um, I keep Seritage. I keep that because of the math, right? I mean, there's still... Even if demand for their space falls flat, they're still converting $4 a square foot to $20 a square foot. 
or twelve dollars if it's a bigger chain, right? They're still raising rents three to four times what Sears was paying as they redevelop. So that's still a net positive for them. Apple, you still own Apple. Apple's been great. You know, Apple's buying back its stock. And honestly, look at Apple. I mean, Apple is, you know, do you need an iPhone? I guess not. But who doesn't think they do, right? Who doesn't think they don't need a computer? Who doesn't think they need music or TV, right? I mean, Apple's, Apple's a necessary company for a lot of people. It's not going anywhere. Balance sheet is <laughs> better than the Feds, right? I mean, it's great. It's fine. Stock price might fall. Okay, fine. You know, here's the thing: if you have a recession, chances are the prices of the stocks you own are going to fall. But you get rid of the ones that are going to get fall, hurt the hardest. That's why I got rid of some of our, you know, more sensitive names, some of our retail names. I mean, Callaway killed me to get rid of Callaway, but <clears throat> if we go into a recession, they're going to get killed. Not going to go under, but it's not going to be pretty for them. So, like I said before, I'm at my highest cash levels I've been in God, a couple decades, probably now. Um, I don't know. I'm just worried. I mean, you look at. I saw a stat the other day that Apple's increased its market cap. I think it was $490 million. Or billion. Billion? Yeah, $490 billion uh, in the last year. Or this year. It was one of the two. And that, that increase was larger than 493 of the S&P 500 stocks combined. Think about that for a second. One stock in the U.S. Stock Exchange has increased its market value more than 493 of the other ones combined. The market's at all-time highs, but the market's a weighted average. So if the top five names are kicking ass, the market's going to go up, but that doesn't mean the rest of them are. It also means that if things stumble, right, if Real reality comes up. Some of those names that haven't participated in this all-time high run-up are going to get slaughtered. I don't... Again, I don't... So here, so I guess here's my thing. I'd rather... I mean... we, You see the portfolio online. I still have a lot of stocks. We've sold a decent amount. We've raised a decent amount of cash. In case, there's, in case I'm right and there's a recession and prices fall... Plenty of dry powder to start buying things, right? Because I don't think we're destroying the economy forever, right? You know, I'm not one of those doomsdayers, right? I think I'm very concerned about the next year, very, very concerned. But the next ten years, we'll be fine. This is, you know, this is the U.S. We have recessions, we fix our shit, and then we come out strong the other way. That's what we do, right? So we're gonna be fine long term. I'm not one of those people like, oh, this is the end of fiat currencies. This is the end of the capitalism bullshit. Bullshit. I don't, I don't buy that. But if I'm right, and in the next year we hit a recession or, you know, the, if I'm right about the effect of the shutdowns and other things, then the market is going to fall. And it could fall substantially. So we have cash to put to work in that case. 
if I'm 100% wrong, completely talking out my ass, and they do these bailouts and they open back up and everyone just kind of jumps back in and things take off again, well, I'm still going to participate in the upside of the market. I mean, we own Apple. Apple's been the best stock in the last year, market cap wide, right? So we, we're participating. I haven't sold Apple. I haven't sold any Kinder Morgan. I haven't sold any Williams, right? I haven't sold any TPL. I haven't sold any Bank of America. Um, haven't sold any, you know, I just haven't sold any of that stuff. So, you know, if I'm wrong and the market's going higher, we're going to do just fine. You know, we're going to make money. You know, I'd, I'd rather be pissed off that the market goes up 20% and, you know, we only make 15 because we're we're not fully invested or whatever the deal is, right? I'm just throwing numbers out. Then hold everything thinking, okay, the market's going to keep going higher. I'm going to do it. Have the market collapse and then lose 30, 40% and not have cash to put to work at that time. That, that is my nightmare scenario. The market falls. I haven't, I haven't raised any cash and now we're looking at obscene valuations and be, now I have to sell losers to buy other losers that are bigger losers I think are going to go higher in the future. That's just a bad scenario to be in. I'd far rather be sitting in 20, 30, 40% cash and then if I'm right, if the market falls, then you just pounce with both feet and when we recover like we do, and we will, you know, you ride that up on the upside. And that's what happened in 08, 09. It was a great couple, great decade. Uh, you know, I'm not saying the market's going to collapse like back then. And I don't think this is um, 08, 09. You know, our banks are far more well capitalized. Um, you know, the housing market is not going to collapse like it did in 08, 09. Home equity is at an all-time high. You know, the, the, the loans that were being given out um, through 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, they're not, they don't exist anymore. So structurally, we are far better than we were in 08, 09. Um, you know, we don't have 11 months of inventory of housing like we had back then. Think about it. We had 11 months of housing inventory in 08. It might have been 07, 08, I don't, I don't, whatever. Um, and prices are still going up double digits, right? That just defies all logic. Um, we don't have that scenario now either. So, you know, businesses are better capitalized. So I don't see, you know, I don't see that. I mean, if these lockdowns last through next winter, through this winter, into next spring, you know, then I think that's a, diff a much different conversation. You know, I mean, if we're still, everything's still locked down in, in November, December of this year, then I think we start really taking a hard look at some other different scenarios that aren't, are far less agreeable. Um, you know, but if things start opening back up this fall, you know, it's, yeah, I just don't see another way. And, you know, but, but that doesn't mean, so here's the thing though, 08, 09 is very fresh in people's minds. So, right. So th there's a generation of people who have lived through, you know, the tech crash and that recession, 9-11, and then the housing bubble and that crash, Right. That their view of re, of recessions severe, right? I mean, you have to go back to the ninety four, ninety five, and then the, the Bush, the first Bush recession of nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one, which was, you know, it was more of a hiccup than a recession. And those are both very mild, very short term. But there's a whole generation of investors now who were born in the nineties, who are too young to remember that, who are in their thirties and forties now. 
who their idea of a recession is the tech crash in 9-11, that recession, and then the housing market recession. So that doesn't mean if we start to etch into another recession, the market doesn't react like it's 08, 09. Because you have to think about the psyche of a lot of investors. That, oh, recession, last time we had a recession, the market fell 50%, I'm selling everything. I think there's a lot of people out there who are going to react that way. So you can see a, a market reaction that's way, way, way outside the re economic reality at the time. And, I mean, if you're sitting on cash, that's your dream scenario, right? I mean, that's really what we saw in March, right? In March, the COVID, the shutdowns, the market was free fall for, what, about a week, <laughs> right? And then buyers jumped in, starts going back up. So, you know, I, I think, I think if you really kind of think about it, I think the market in a lot of ways is really becoming dislocated with the economy. Um, it's becoming more herd driven than I think it was in past. You know, and I think it's indicative that you know, it's basically four stocks driving the S&P higher right now. And these are new relationships that we're seeing. And this hasn't been the case in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Um, so, those, so those relationships are new. And some of the old adages are becoming, you know, like go back to the first question about the Fed inflation. It, it, it hasn't happened in over 20 years. I don't think it's going to happen. And the same thing with the market, you know. Usual recession, the market would drop between 10 and 20%, you know. A 50% drop right now, 40%, 30% drop, it's, it's not out of the realm, given how manic it appears at times. Remember the flash crash? Oh, what was that? It was like five, six years ago. Maybe a little longer even. I remember being on Martha's Vineyard and <laughs> what the hell's going on? The market was in a free fall. A few months later, it was back, back where it was. So in that, but, but vol volatility, I love this quote from Buffett, volatility is not risk. Volatility is opportunity. Right? It's opportunity and when, when the market is ripping higher for no reason, it's an opportunity to make money and kind of lighten up. When the market absolutely collapses because someone says the recession where in CNBC, oh, that's an opportunity to buy if, you, if depending what your view of the underlying economy is. So I think the market's overreacting more and more on a regular basis, both directions, which is fine as long as you're aware of it. And just because the market's crashing doesn't mean the economy's crashing. You know, it's... We're entering, we're entering a weird time. And um, yeah, so I, I guess I guess my, am I, I don't know, I don't even know how long I've been babbling for, but oh, for, I'm sorry, 40 minutes, right? I'll end this soon. Um, I, I'm, I'm extremely concerned about, and when I say extremely concerned, I'm not saying, you know, GDP, is, you know, I'm not saying economic collapse. I'm saying recession, right? Under your normal recession, not one of these, Housing. I mean, but maybe it's going to be a deeper one. Maybe the shutdowns cause more damage than I'm even thinking. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm 
preparing for that. I'd rather prepare for that and be wrong than, you know, to quote Buffett one more time, you know, you don't know who's swimming naked till the tide goes out, right? I don't want to be margined up and fully invested in the market at this point in time, at these, at these levels. Um, another age package doesn't get approved. We start slipping into recession. I don't want to be exposed like that. I'd rather be sitting back and you know, so I, I, and uh, Ackman had Ackman has a great thing about it. He goes, he goes, you know, if you have a position that causes you not to sleep at night, you shouldn't be in it. So if you're invested in the market to a level right now where it's keeping you up at night, like if, hey, if this thing turns south, I'm screwed. You shouldn't be there because basically at that point in time, you're coin flipping. I'm either right or I'm wrong. If I'm if you're wrong, you get you get killed. So, you know, I, where I have my portfolio and I sleep very well at night with it. Um, I sleep very well with the cash levels I have. And I sleep very well knowing if the market turns south, I'm sitting there waiting for it. And I'll be happy to wait and make some purchases then. If the market keeps going higher and higher and higher and the economic fundamentals that I see keep progressing the way they are and the things I'm seeing on the ground keep progressing the way they are um, I'll, I'll, I'll continue to maybe sell a little bit more into it you know uh, Wilbur Ross just the best so the best story about 0708 Wilbur Ross was golfing and I tell the story a lot because it, you know it's you see what you see on TV and you know you hear what you hear and you read what you read but sometimes when you see something in person you walk through a city in the US right now and you just see like this is not the same city. This is not coming back soon. These people are leaving. There's there's damage here. This is going to negatively affect a lot of people, right? So in oh, I think it was in two thousand seven, Wilbur Ross was golfing in Florida, and the caddy comes up to him and says, "Hey, Mr. Ross, can I ask you a question?" And, you know, Ross kind of he tells the story on CNBC. He told it way back then. Uh, he kind of rolls his eyes. He's like, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, the, the foursome in front of them was just teeing off. They had a long wait. He's like, yeah, what the hell? I'll ask the question. So the caddy says to him, hey, I own three condos and a house in Vegas. Um, he goes, I, I kind of want to know, what should I do with the rent? What should I do? I rent them all out. What should I do? Uh, Rubble Ross is like, well, you know, where are they? Are they close to downtown? Are they in the suburbs? Is there a lot of shopping near them? What's the neighborhood, what's the neighborhood like around it? And he's going to the house. He's like, is the house in a neighborhood? What part of Vegas is it in? Is the school district good? Da, da, da. And the caddy looks at him. And, and Ross tells the story and says, you know, I don't know. I've never been to Vegas. And Wilbur Ross was that I was speechless. This guy owned three condos and a house in Las Vegas. Had never stepped foot in the state. He said, at that moment, I realized we had a massive housing bubble. And he started going short. And Wilbur Ross, Wilbur Ross cleaned up in the uh, recession. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, and sometimes that's all it is, is look around, right? In, in, you know, in, 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 uh, in the tech bubble, my barber was day trading, right? <laughs> right? When your barber's day trading in between haircuts and bragging about the, st- the ticker symbol he made killing on, I didn't know what company it was. He just made a killing on the ticker symbol. That tells people things. You know, I, I, if you look at the market, there's some signs of some areas of that. I don't think it's anywhere near the tech bubble or anywhere near the housing bubble. 
but there are some signs of that in the market right now. I mean, Apple added a trillion dollars to its market cap. Right? In what, a year and a half, something like that? I mean, that's, that's a stunning number. Now, I still own Apple. I'll continue to own it. It's a great company. It's whatever. But that's, that's a lot. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I implore everyone to go look around. You know, go... You know, I don't know where you live, but, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, subscribers are from the New York City area and stuff like that. So I know you see it. You know, I have a friend in Brooklyn. He counted 85 businesses closed, gone forever. 85. And, you know, that was on a, that was just a driving around for half a day. It wasn't even really looking. And that's just the tip of the iceberg nationally. I mean, that's just, you know. I personally know several small business owners that have declared bankruptcy and gone under. And there's more to come. The longer these lockdowns go, there's more to come. You know, restaurant owners are hanging on by a thread. The tiniest and weakest of threads. I think I, was, I don't remember what one of the restaurant company CEOs said last week. He thinks one quarter of U.S. restaurants are gone, are going are gonna to end up evaporating that's a massive number one quarter of u.s restaurants are going to disappear and it's not going to be darden it's not going to be um uh, chipotle mcdonald's Burger. it's going to be the small family corner restaurant right that that's who's going under you know so now i mean i'm going to stop soon but take that to the next thing right so now, you know, everyone's been bitching about wealth equality forever, right? Wealth equality is going to get significantly worse after this. When, when, you're, when your small family business closes, they're done. That, those purchases, right, go to where? They go to other restaurants. The national change, the one that can go out and raise a couple billion dollars in debt or a stock sale and make it through this. So now you have that wealth transfer. You have hundreds and thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of restaurants closing nationally. That's, that's real. Those are real people losing real jobs and real wealth. And, and they're not, you know, by the time you close your restaurant, right, you're probably filing personal bankruptcy also. And that's just a fact. That's a double-edged sword. So this family or this group or this person who, who ran this, and this, this restaurant is closed and I've been open for 50, 60 years in my area, right? That family just lost everything. What are they going to do? Go work in a restaurant? <laughs> Closing left and right. Or they work for 15 bucks an hour or 18 bucks an hour at Applebee's, right? That's, that is their option. Wealth equality gets wealth inequality is going to get significantly worse after these shutdowns. The rich are not being hurt by the shutdowns. The poor and the middle class are. Every time it happens, it happens every single time we have these policies. It crushes the low, the lower middle class. It just it's just economics one hundred and one. They're the most vulnerable to economic shocks. 
when you voluntarily shut your nation down, you crush those people who are most vulnerable. The billionaires and the billionaires are going to be just fine. So in a year from now, when we start seeing politicians bitching about wealth inequality, remind them why it happened. They shut their cities down and they destroyed the low and the middle class in the process. And they destroyed small business, which employs those people. So you destroyed the family, you personal bankruptcy, the restaurant's bankruptcy, the jobs are lost. Who are they hiring? They're hiring the, the they're hiring the fifteen to eighteen dollar an hour people who now can't find a job. So I I don't know. Hope I haven't been too negative today, but I you know I, what's being said on TV and what's being said by politicians and what the market is doing, I I'm seeing a more, I see a greater and greater disconnect every single day from what I'm actually seeing. And I don't, I don't think Boston or Massachusetts is that different than, you know, I, I've been in another state since this thing started. It's the, it's, it's the same to varying degrees everywhere you go. Talk to friends in Florida, talk to friends in Texas, talk to friends in California. Small businesses are closing left and right. And they're not coming back. When you lose your business, you almost invariably lose your home, your life savings, whatever goes with it. You don't then, oh, I'll just go to another town and open up a new business. That's not how it works. That's not what happens. So, all right, I'm done. That's enough. I apologize. I I hope I wasn't too repetitive or redundant, but, um, you know, I just... It's out there. It's out there. So uh, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Uh, again, I apologize for the lack of posts this week. It was a very frustrating week with the, with the website. And um, I, I believe I have it fixed. I put a post up this morning. If people can't see it um, uh, or it, it, the, the text is coming out crazy or whatever, uh, please let me know. Um, and I'll, I'll try and get it fixed again. But I believe I have it fixed. So... Um, we should be back to a regular, more of a regular schedule without the um, the um, uh, the interruptions. I mean, thank God it wasn't in the middle of earnings season or there wasn't any really huge news um, for anyone we follow anyway. So, um, you know, that that's good. Um, but uh, I think I have it fixed. So I hope everyone has a, a fantastic weekend, a great weekend. Uh, if you're going away for Labor Day next week, and I hope you have a, a great end of the summer. Talk to you later, guys.